Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Black Panther in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. It is Friday night as I record this, and uh, the pro- the projections for this movie continue to go up and up and up and up. I think it's almost sh- confirmed to make $200 million over four days uh, by the end of Monday, and it looks like there's a really good chance it could hit it by the end of Saturday, Sunday, even, uh, which would be insane, absolutely insane. So that being said, uh, it's kind of a big deal, and... I want to treat it as such. I, I don't want to shortchange this movie whatsoever. So there will definitely 100% be spoiler section. I have so much I want to get go through as far as Black Panther is concerned. But let's kind of ease into it, shall we? So I forget when exactly they, they announced there was going to be a Black Panther solo film. Uh, it, it was probably around it was probably before or around when civil war came out back in 2016 and that was exciting that was good uh you know we haven't had a a black superhero movie for quite some time and certainly not one in the mcu yet uh and so for that reason alone it was an exciting uh development uh you know between having a black superhero, having a female superhero lead, you know, both of those things at back in 2016 hadn't happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or what had only really begun as the DC Extended Universe. And since then, last year we got Wonder Woman, which, uh, you know, had did incredibly well at the box office. You know, it didn't have the most staggering opening weekend, but... It turned that into a much bigger multiplier as far as how much it ultimately made domestically than many people expected. And so that was a pretty shocking development. And now we've got Black Panther, which is basically doing the same thing. And that's a good thing. And I think both movies kind of succeed where they're... uh, they're, What's the word I'm looking for? They're, um, uh, they succeed where their fellows fail. Fellows is not the word I'm looking for. Um, I don't know. Anyway, their fellows fail. For example, uh, you know, I think, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was fine. It was good, but it was definitely, for me, a step down from the first one. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming wasn't, it wasn't like a great thing it was it was good but it wasn't great it wasn't an upper tier mcu property justice league was just an all-around disappointment uh same thing goes for suicide squad batman v superman those have just kind of tanked completely you know you've had a lot of unfortunate uh films come out of the mcu despite how good their track record is um you know, I think Doctor Strange is just good. I think, uh, trying to think here, Iron Man 3, Iron Man 2 are both good to okay. So uh, we've seen, and even Age of Ultron, I think, is, is just good. So other with for me, other than Thor Ragnarok, which I thought was great, the biggest two superhero movies have been... Wonder Woman, and now Black Panther in the last couple of years. And uh, Civil War is pretty good, but I think both Wonder Woman and Black Panther are definitely better. And that's an important trend, in my opinion, to notice. You know, we, we are servicing these underrepresented uh, factions of the human population, and surprise, they're doing really well. And what's more, we are putting people from that underserved uh, faction behind of and in front of the cameras in these films and 
they're turning out to be pretty good. Uh, Wonder Woman turned out to be pretty good, really good, great. And it was led by a female, uh, Gal Gadot, and helmed by a female, Patty Jenkins. And then Black Panther is led by a great, great cast of black actors, helmed by Ryan Coogler, written by Ryan Coogler and Joe Cole Anderson. Joe Anderson Cole. Um, black Panther. Joe Robert Cole. Sorry, I'm sorry. Joe Robert Cole uh, co-wrote the movie. Uh, it was also... Um, the the film the the dp on black panther is rachel morrison who if i'm not mistaken is the one who shot mudbound and is nominated for an academy award for said thing let me double check that rachel morrison yes she is the cinematographer for mudbound as well as black panther which is awesome like so great right so this is hopefully a sign of some of more to come and i think it, it has to be you know i don't think studios can turn a blind eye to this kind of success anymore which is great because these are movies and stories that need to be made and told that we haven't seen in quite 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 some time now speaking specifically to black panther i I've gotten, I guess, progressively more excited for the movie the closer we've gotten to the release date. I did watch a, an early trailer last year sometime, but that's pretty much all the uh, media I consumed regarding the film. I didn't really watch any of the later trailers. I've been avoiding them since for the last like six months or so. And I went into the movie really hype. Um, it, it, you know, by the time I got, went and saw it on a, uh, Thursday night, I went to sit Thursday night preview, seven o'clock. It had, uh, you know, it had a 98, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody loved it. Critics were going crazy. And I just, I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. I didn't know where the film was going to go, what they wanted to do with the character, or how it was going to tie into the MCU. Was it going to try to set up Infinity War? What really was the aim of this movie? And I feel like that was my biggest question. You know, in you know, specific to uh, T'Challa's character, and also in relation to the MCU, what was the purpose of this film? What was it setting out to do, and how was it answering that question? And to my great delight, it it made that answer very, very easy and simple. Uh, the main conflict is, one, we don't, as far as the MCU is concerned, we don't hear anything about Wakanda until Civil War. And this is the first time we really get to see it, with the exception of um, when they put Bucky in Wakanda all the back in, I think it was Civil War's end credits. And we got a brief, brief glimpse of it back then. In this film, we get to see all of Wakanda and how incredible their world is, having harnessed the power of Vibranium, having used it to create uh, an, a, an immense landscape with technological advances that dwarf where we are outside of Wakanda and so for thousands and thousands of years they have lived in this seclusion you know you get this it's got a sort of um like like a force field disguise around it and it just looks like big forest from outside but once you get inside it's there's stuff there's a lot of stuff there there's you know, magnetic trains and, and, and just, like, the greatest medical advancements and technological advancements that would even put every James Bond film, you know, on top of itself to shame. And what comes with that much technology and that many, like, having, being that far removed from the rest of society as ter in terms of technological advances is that you kind of owe this 
fortune and owe this good will to the people who don't have anything. You know, there's something to be said for as as much as I kind of hate seeing that the United States invades and, and occupies, you know, dozens of countries around the world. The, the premise behind that is 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 a good one. Not necessarily the reasons that we currently do it, but the premise behind that in the greater scheme of things is a good one. The idea of, okay, we have more than that country does. We can go there, help them rebuild their country to be better than it is, and to give the, share with them what we have, share with them our resources. That's a great thing. But the problem is Wakanda is just so damn far farther advanced than everyone else around it that just adding what they have in out into the world and and revealing it and letting it assimilate into different countries could be absolutely world ending it, it you know i think at one point michael b jordan's character remarks that uh there's weapons in wakanda that could absolutely nuke the world and i fully believe it if we have actual nuclear weapons outside of wakanda how much more advanced could a wakandan weapon actually be and that's terrifying because we you know i know that there are definitely thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in the world that would not be served well to have have control and access to these weapons and I think that that's probably an even larger number in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where every other person is a superhero or supervillain just waiting to be born. So that is the main conflict. How can T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman, help others, but also preserve the traditions and uh, ways of Wakanda? And is it even and, and furthermore, is it even really possible to help those outside of Wakanda without destroying the fabric of reality that exists? And that's a very central question that gets raised time and time again, um, not just by Bozeman, but by uh, by Michael B. Jordan, who plays Killmonger, by Lupita Nyong'o, who plays Nakia, and and so on and so on and so on. It is a very important issue that's going on and by the end of the movie we have progressed down that line in a way that not only services to help us define and understand T'Challa as a character but to define and understand Wakanda as a nation and the direction that they are heading but that is just one element of the overarching plot of the movie there that Oh my gosh, that doesn't even scratch the surface. So, far beyond that element, we have to look at the personal conflict that Bozeman has. So, we see the first... Well, I guess the first scene is kind of T'Challa explaining the history of Wakanda. But the first, like, kind of real scene happening in the movie is a flashback. Um, we see T'Chaka... T'Challa's father, the former king who dies in civil war when he was younger, uh, I believe roughly 30 years ago. And he is tracking his brother, played by Sterling K. Brown. And 30 years ago is the first time that Andy Serkis, who plays Ulysses Claw, broke into Wakanda, stole vibranium and escaped uh, by creating a diversion. And so the question is, how did he do that? And through this flashback, we kind of uncover some of the answers, and we're led into a particular direction based on what we see and what happens. And this sets up the ultimate conflict in the movie on a personal scale between T'Challa and Killmonger, you know, both of them were incredibly young at the time of this flashback, but by the but then we skip forward to present day. 
T'Challa is in the process of taking his place as head of the Pride Lands, and Killmonger is off in America working with Ulysses Claw. Like he's part basically partners with Andy Serkis at the start of this movie. And what makes this so fascinating is that Killmonger and T'Challa butt heads a couple of times throughout the film. And not only does the film give us a villain that is definitely capable and, you know, doesn't feel manufactured in a way that, for example, um, Jeff Bridges does in Iron Man. You know, like, obviously, Jeff Bridges in Iron Man is incredibly smart. I get that. And he definitely had the resources to contend with Tony Stark as Iron Man. But I do think that in that final climactic battle, you never really get a sense that despite how much bigger Jeff Bridges' Iron Man suit is, that he has any chance of controlling it half as well as Tony, just because Tony created the thing. Tony's been using it far longer, you know, that kind of thing. Where and, and he's an old guy, you know, he's an old guy. Uh, whereas in this, we have two guys who are, you know, 30-ish years old, and they are both incredibly well-trained in hand-to-hand combat, and the sort of quote-unquote upgrades, like the Iron Man suit, far easier to understand the way the movie presents the Black Panther suit, uh, which, if you've seen the trailers, they both wear a version of. And that gives me, like, watching the movie, such a better impression of this conflict, because as many times as the Marvel movies have pitted their our hero against a villain of equal ability, like Iron Man and I can't remember the name, but Jeff Bridges, like T'Challa and Killmonger, like Ant-Man and the Yellow Hornet, we end up with this scenario where you have to give us something that sets our hero apart from the villain through their powers. So, for like I was saying, like Iron in Iron Man, Tony Stark is just so much better equipped and has such a better understanding of the weapons that they have access to, of the limitations of their suits, and so forth. Uh, you know, Jeff Bridges thinks bigger is better, and it really isn't. You know, he he's wasting a lot of energy, and he's far less maneuverable than Tony Stark is in that movie. When you look at Ant-Man and Hornet, uh, you know, you see um, you see Paul Rudd really knows and understands being a tiny guy and the powers of being Ant-Man far more than, uh, oh, I'm not going to remember his name offhand. Um, fuck. I'm going to look it up. Ant-Man. I'm going to figure this out. What was his name? Corey Stoll. Corey Stoll. He, he, you know, Paul Rudd understands this world, you know, being tiny, far better than Corey Stoll does. Not, now, on the other, now, to, to their credit, I think Corey Stoll is a better, has a better grasp on the situation and a better understanding of the situation than Jeff Bridges does, but even still, uh, you can see that you can see the distinction between what our hero knows and what our villain knows. When we get to T'Challa and Killmonger, it's interesting because it's not quite. It's a much more sensitive and subtle difference between what they're both aware of, because essentially they're both just hyper heightened fighters who are wearing suits that make it nigh impossible to take damage and what's brilliant about the way that Bozeman is able to overcome this sort of even keel that the two are on is that he's not the one that does it in that same way you know now he he comes up with the method for defeating Killmonger for sure but he can't do it by himself 
which I love. I love that he needs help from other people to win this fight. And it's just, it's how easily this movie presents Wakanda as this unified family, even despite the fact that there are very, very visceral and violent conflicts happening within the country itself throughout the film. And yet you still feel like it is a family. You still feel the 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 connections between these characters, between T'Challa and um, and and Shuri, who's play, uh, Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, T'Challa's sister, between T'Challa and Nakia, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, and Zuri, who's Forrest Whitaker, and Okoye, who is Danai Gurira, and Ramonda, his mom, Angela Bassett. Like they're all interwoven, and even though they're not always you know, on the same side, or, or thinking the same thing, or, or presenting the same arguments at each other, they are still fiercely emotional and connected in a way that is really difficult to understand, because outside of that country, outside of Wakanda, and in the real world even, people just aren't like that, you know, you might have family that you're very close to, or a best friend or a spouse or somebody but ultimately what ends up happening is you just you never find a tribe the way that the Wakandans have and you know we don't really see often a group of people kind of secluded from the rest of the world for thousands of years it's not really possible in this current society because with how easy it is to reach every corner of the globe for us now, we can go anywhere we want. We can be with whoever we need to be and whoever we want to be. We can find the people we want to spend time with and then spend time with other people on top of that and still have those people. It's just like we're constantly intermingling and you really don't have to look any further than the United States to see the examples of that with just how populous our country is with people who have come from every other country to spend the rest of their lives here. And this is a country that's like three, not even 300 years old, really. So it's... it's kind of staggering to think of a group of people or a tribe of people, whatever you want to call them, that have spent thousands and thousands of years relatively secluded from the rest of the world. That's the kind of experience that truly bonds peoples together. And that's something that definitely comes across in the film that I greatly appreciate. And you see it from the beginning, uh, just with the way that these characters interact as, uh, you know, you see T'Challa and his sister Shuri like exchanging barbed words at each other and, and pointed jabs at each other when he returns to Wakanda and how, um, and how Ramonda, their mother, just kind of steps in and like deflates everything and, and eases things back together. And then later, you see T'Challa and Shuri, like, just, like, in a completely new dynamic. You know, they're they're joking, they're laughing at each other, they're play angry at each other, they're real angry at each other, they're having fun with each other, they're sharing their experiences together, and it's just, it's so wonderful to see. It's, you know, Letitia Wright is so great in this movie. She's fantastic. And all of the characters in this movie are so vibrant and so beautiful and and well-defined, even in, you know, like the two scenes that they really get in a film. You still see the entire dimension of their character. And that is fantastic. So... I'm trying to think like what else I can really talk about without going to spoilers. Uh, the costumes and the effects in this movie are incredible. Uh, I sincerely hope that this is at least best costume design nominee next year. 
Uh, I can totally see best production design. I could see best uh, score, best sound editing, sound mixing. Like so many of the technical categories are per are like totally in this movie's wheelhouse. It sounds great. It looks great. The visual effects are awesome. And like the world that they created, the production design must have been incredible. I don't know how much of it was green screen, but it looks amazing. Uh, you know, Martin Freeman reprising his role as Everett K. Ross is taken to Wakanda. And this is the first time he's ever been there. And he gets to kind of look at it through these, you know, untainted eyes. And we get to experience it with him. And that's fascinating. Like, that's exciting all on its own without really any plot involved in those moments. Just seeing it through his eyes, through someone who doesn't understand what he's looking at and is kind of coming to terms with the reality of the situation, it's truly impressive just what they've done with this world and how in a cinematic universe that we've seen over dozens of film over a dozen films in that we can still see something this brilliant and this original is remarkable absolutely remarkable i i don't know i, I think it's just great um so all that being said before i get into the spoilers of this for this film i just want to say that well, here, I, I put a pretty lengthy review on Letterboxd, and uh, I'm just going to, like, read it, because I think it kind of encapsulates what I, what I think really this movie represents, and then I'm going to jump, and right after that, I'm going to jump into spoilers. So, um, 41 years ago, we got the first Star Wars movie, a film so beloved that spawned die-hard fans for generations. The world was turned on its head and blown away by the creativity, the world-building, and the fantasy. Along the, in the years since then, we've seen glimpses of that same majesty in movies like Jurassic Park, Alien, Back to the Future, Toy Story, The Lord of the Rings, Avatar, and finally, we landed on the MCU. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has released over a dozen films that have grossed billions of dollars. And it felt like that feeling of discovery so many had with Star Wars was achieved. Except we kept getting more MCU movies, and while I think they're generally quite good, the repetition and poorly written villains are problematic to say the least. So what did we do? We rebooted Star Wars. Again. And The Force Awakens crushed the box office and became the second biggest earner of all time. But my friends... As great as I think the new Star Wars movies are, as great as most of the movies I've named in this review are, none felt as much like Star Wars as Black Panther. It has a it has a conflicted hero that sees the good in his people that sees the good in his people could be doing that sees the good his people could be doing, but can't get over the hump of challenging of changing the ways of tradition. It has powerful female characters that have their own stories, conflicts, and strengths, mastering the science of vibranium, the power of loyalty, and the truth of clear sight. There's a villain that isn't a CGI monster. He's a human. He has a backstory that is tragic, but real, indirectly related to our hero. He is bloodthirsty, but not purely evil, hoping to right the evils of the world in the only way he understands. And he takes the power away from our hero. He strips, strips him of his essence, reducing him to a mere man that must earn his way back to his rightful place. And that's just scratching the surface. This movie has a James Bond flair, Andy Serkis being adorably evil, Martin Freeman as a fish out of water, Daniel Kaluuya, Michael B. Jordan, Chadwick Boseman, and Lupita Nyong'o play opposite sides of the same coin seeking to save the lives of those less fortunate, but none of them really knows the best way to go about doing it. The film crescendos to a brilliant three-part war, a la Empire Strikes Back, as T'Challa duels Killmonger, the rival factions the rival factions of Wakanda fight for the king they believe in, and Martin Freeman takes to the sky. There are war rhinos and warriors that can't help but steal the scene every time they grace it. I'd say Letitia Wright steals the film, but that still leaves Denai Gurira, Andy Serkis, Daniel Kaluuya, and Winston Duke, who all get their time in the sun. Go see this thing. 
it's beautiful. The first challenge sequence has some of the best costume design ever created. The production and effects are gorgeous. The performances are top-notch. The sound, the score, the music. It all culminates in, at first blush, my favorite MCU film. That's right, it is unseated at the moment, Iron Man, as my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe film. And I, I just, I, I'm excited to go see it again. And again, maybe. And maybe again. So that's it for non-spoilers. Uh, stick around after the bumper if you would like to hear the spoiler review for Black Panther. Any path, so many worth exploring. Just one would be so boring. And look what you're ignoring. Spoilers for Black Panther starting now. This movie, okay. <laughs> so, let me see, how do I, I don't know, I'm not sure how I want to start this. Um, I guess the best way to start this is Michael B. Jordan. So, Killmonger as a character who has, whose father dies 30, 25 some odd years ago. And in the, me in the times since then, his only thought and only dream was to return to Wakanda. He wants to get back to Wakanda. He wants to become king of Wakanda, honestly. And so to do that, to put himself in a position where he's capable of doing that, he trains. I forget which faction of uh, the armed forces he joins, but he ultimately ends up as like this insane killing machine. He's got tattoo those those bumps and tattoos all over his body, and scar scars not tattoos all over his body. Every person he's ever killed, uh, he he's it's fun to him he's like they you know, i think they refer to him at some point as killing like he's in a video game basically which is terrifying and he becomes a specialist in overthrowing governments and leadership and assassinations which is brilliant like a great development for his character because that's exactly what he wants to do right he wants to take down whoever's leading wakanda doesn't matter that it's t'challa just happens to be and he wants to take over and because his father is the former is is t'challa's uncle and so the former brother of the king he does by birthright and by wakandan law have some sort of a claim to the throne he's able to do that and he he's currently working with circus andy circus uh, ulysses claw in order to obtain a vibranium weapon and to get himself into uh into wakanda because and and this i'm not sure exactly what gives him the impression that uh being that bringing claw's dead body to daniel kaluuya is exactly what he needs to like get his foot in the door but that's kind of hand wavy he does so Daniel Kaluuya, who is T'Challa's, like, best friend, uh, is really upset. He's very frustrated. His parents were killed by Claw, and so when T'Challa isn't able to bring Claw back, alive or dead, the next guy, this guy is able to, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's eating, um, he's, um, well, what's the term? He's, uh, he's eating... He's drinking the milk. I don't know. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. Drinking the Kool-Aid. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. Drinking the milk. He's drinking the Kool-Aid, and he's all in on Killmonger. And so he supports Killmonger's stake in the throne. And we get this great moment, this great scene, where Killmonger, uh, in cuffs, or tied up, enters the throne room. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. T'Challa knows who he is, or, or has, suspects at least, as he's been told by Forrest Whitaker that there was a kid that the, his uncle left. And so he finally is, you know, he tells everybody who he is and he challenges T'Challa to be king. And we already saw T'Challa accept a challenge before from Winston Duke's character, to which he wins. Winston Duke is this is a huge guy. He is big. 
uh, Mbaku, who I love. I think Winston Duke's great. And so, despite the fact that we've heard all these gr terrifying and scary things about Killmonger, I'm entering this cha second challenge scene kind of, you know, I wasn't super concerned. But at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, if T'Challa wins here, what what happens next? Because we're only, you know, two-thirds, halfway through the movie. And naturally, be, you know, so, like, obviously he can't win, right? Like, something has to happen. Either the fight doesn't end, which would be interesting as well, or he loses, right? Like, those are the only real options the movie can go. So, Killmonger wins. And not just wins, but kills Forrest Whitaker and then throws T'Challa over a waterfall to his death and assumes the throne. Uh, we all assume T'Challa's dead and we now have Killmonger as king and he 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 becomes black a Black Panther effectively. He drinks the juice of this flower that gives him the strength, gives him the heightened senses and abilities he gets a Black Panther suit, he's got all the things a Black Panther generally would have. And his mission, and this is so fascinating, his, his goal here is to distribute the weapons around the world to those in need and to help them overthrow the tyrants that currently keep them in chains, symbolically. Which, removing the like violent aspect of that notion from its from the equation is actually a great premise a great idea it's a great thought to liberate those in need is a noble thing however to do so by basically declaring war on the world might not be the best idea because as powerful and as strong as wakanda might be i have my doubts that they would be as successful against the entire world if that is what it came to. I don't know that that's what it would have come to. Obviously, we don't get that far in the movie, but possibly. Uh, and so Killmonger is definitely this bloodthirsty warlord slash tyrant figure, but it all stems from this deep and, and emotional connection that he has you know he you know he was outside playing basketball when his father was killed he ran upstairs he found his father dying dead uh you know he knows that it was black a black panther that killed him he could see the claw marks in his chest it was t'challa's father and he has you know there's an element of revenge there but then the more he learned about Wakanda, the more frustrated he became in how limited and limiting they've been as far as sharing their resources. And so the idea of sharing their resources is definitely a good prospect. You, you kind of have to figure out exactly how to do it. Otherwise, really bad things could happen. But definitely not this. So it's definitely not... Supply your warriors with weapons across the world that are far stronger than anything you know we have, and start a war. Like that's definitely not the answer. But there's something there to what he's trying to do, right? Like he's not perfectly evil, and to that on that on the flip side, like the fact that T'Challa refuses to do anything about what's happening outside in the world isn't good. You know, the, that's not a great <laughs> thing to do. And, you know, as we hear earlier in the movie, you know, they say that, like, t that Wakanda does not need a warrior king. You know, he can't, as king, he can't really just run off and, and fight whenever he wants. He's not exactly fit to be a member of the Avengers in that way. But he does that. Like, he just kind of gets out of there and he does you know he goes to track down claw and he fails he doesn't get claw and that's you know its own drama because he does have to learn about what it means to, to lead your his country his country and to rule over his people and to give them inspire in them a sense of purpose without 
uh, without risking the lives of all the people he cares about. So there's definitely a conflict there because definitely you look at these two characters, T'Challa and Killmonger, and you know you're going to side, you know, you want, you, you pick T'Challa's side because he is definitely far more in the right than Killmonger is. But we, when Killmonger, like, addresses the, the, the throne room when he's talking to T'Challa, you know, he's not just, you know, spitting, you know, shit out of his mouth. Like, he is bringing forth intelligent points and big questions about what is happening and what is going on with this country. You know, he fully confronts T'Challa on the fact, and, and everyone, on the fact that his father was a murderer, on how they haven't helped anybody outside of their country, they're leaving people to die, they're letting people be enslaved, and, you know, think about that. Like, this isn't exactly a point that, that, you know, is addressed specifically in the movie, but if Wakanda's been there for thousands of years, then they watched as, you know, Europeans took Africans and enslaved them by the millions. And Wakanda did nothing, as far as we're aware in the MCU. That's horrific, when obviously they could have done something. And, and that is a huge, huge question mark. And like that was way before T'Challa's time. I'm not saying he has any part in that, but that is definitely something that should be addressed and, and should be questioned. And definitely is a point against remaining secluded from the rest of the world. And so even to that point, you know, when uh, T'Challa takes Killmonger up to the sunset in this almost like Luke Skywalker final shot death scene, you know, they have, you know, Killmonger's in the process of dying, you know, he's been stabbed in the heart. He finally gets to see the sunset, and you know T'Challa, T'Challa tells him like, "Look, we can probably save you. Yeah, you know, this doesn't have to be the end for you." And Kilmong just looks at him, and he's like, "Yeah, so you can keep me in chains the rest of my life. Look, I, I don't want that." And he references, uh, you know, slaves, slave ships. You know, they jumped off, and and killed to kill themselves, basically. Uh, because they knew that dying was better than slavery. And now I don't know exactly what T'Challa's plans were, if he was going to keep him imprisoned, if he was going to, what he was going to do, but he never says, you know, he makes, T'Challa makes no effort to stop him after that. He, he just kind of like looks at him, he's like, I mean, he, he and I think in that moment, we see T'Challa kind of realize like what has been happening in the world around him and how he has to do something. He cannot sit back and let the world continue on the path it's in without intervention. And that's a very, very powerful moment because it is assume, presumably going to set in motion everything. Because we see at the end of the movie, Killmonger is dead Wakanda is finally, you know, back contained under single rule, no more split divisions, you know, even um, M'Baku, Winston Duke's character, who leads the fifth tribe of Wakanda that has long since has long lived in the mountains and kind of set themselves apart from the rest of the other tribes. So there's five tribes and M'Baku leads the fifth tribe that doesn't really... Uh, take place, you know, it's, it's like, um, I don't have a good analogy, I don't know, they live in Wakanda, they've got Wakanda technology and stuff, but they also don't really take part in Wakanda stuff, um, he's unified all these people, and he starts with an outreach program in Oakland, where, uh, Sterling K. Brown, who was Killmonger's father, was, and was killed, and, he tells Letitia Wright, his sister, you know, look, 
I bought this building and that building and that building and that building, and we're going to turn it into a Wakandan outreach program. And Lupita Nyong'o is going to head it up. And that's great. Like, that's awesome. And that, the implications of that are far-reaching. And you see that when you get to the first, the mid credit scene, which is uh, Bozeman as T'Challa addressing the United Nations and telling them, look, Wakanda is hidden in the dark for so many, many years, and it is time for us to share our resources with the world. And this douchebag chimes in with, what does a third world country of farmers have to offer the rest of us? And Bozeman just gives this great smile. And it's it's really fascinating. It's really fun. And the scene cuts there. So we don't really know how the UN reacts to that. That's kind of like a scene where you probably can't make it as good as you can picture it in your head. But just the implications of like what the world is going to do with access to vibranium. Or just the knowledge of vibranium is is scary it's kind of scary and it has to be done dealt with lightly so as far as like the narrative and story and motivations for these main characters for for t'challa and, and killmonger are fantastic love it and then it's how every other character is woven into this narrative so just to kind of go down the list here Nakia, played by Lupita Nyong'o, is an ex-girlfriend of T'Challa's. She is a spy of the Wakandan nation uh, who wants to be a spy, but also doesn't want to stay in Wakanda forever. And she wants them to help. She wants them to do good. She wants them to, you know, she, she tells... T'Challa keeps asking her, you know, I want you to stay. I wish you would stay. And she's like, look, I can't. Like, there's so many people out there that are hurt that need help. Uh, and I want to help them. Which is pretty much what Killmonger wants. You know, he wants to help those in need. But, you know, they want to do it in different ways. And so her arc coming around and, and ultimately being one where she's going to be leading an outreach program in... California for Wakandan for Wakanda is a great one she sort of implies that we sort of see at the end of the movie that she and T'Challa have made up I don't know if they'll be together but that's what we've seen so far so she's integrated in that entire like conflict of help them not help them that we've seen throughout the whole film Forrest Whitaker plays uh, he was with uh, Killmonger's dad when he was killed he was a spy sent that uh, Killmonger's dad didn't know was from Wakanda and so he blames it's kind of his fault it's not really but like he blames himself for Sterling K. Brown's death and so for that Killmonger ends up killing him when he steps in to save T'Challa during the challenge. You know, T'Challa is defeated effectively, and before Killmonger can finish him, Whitaker steps in to stop the attack, at which point Killmonger kills him. But, you know, Forrest Whitaker gets a lot more time than that. Um, his character's name is Zuri. He gets to, he helps instruct T'Challa. He, he's the one who informs T'Challa of what his father did that night, all those years ago, and just kind of is that fatherly mentor to T'Challa that he's missing now that his dad's dead. Denai Gurira plays Okoye, who is the, I guess, captain of the guard, basically, commander of the guard, uh, to whoever sits in the throne, which is a very important element, because when T'Challa loses the challenge and Killmonger becomes king, uh, Lupita Nyong'o appeals to her, like, look, come with us. We can escape, and we can mount an insurrection we can take down Killmonger and she's like what no she says she's loyal to the throne no matter who sits on it and we watch her struggle with that statement from that point on as she questions Killmonger's decisions but carries them out she questions them carries them out she points out the ludic the ludicrous ludicrousy of what he's doing 
but follows through with most of what he does until finally it reaches this breaking point. And, oh, man, Danagara Carrera is so great in this movie. Uh, she and Daniel Kaluuya are lovers to some degree. I don't think they're married or anything, but they refer to each other as my love. And Kaluuya, who plays T'Challa's best friend, is unhappy. We I mentioned this before. You know, he's unhappy with the way things have been going, and so he supports Killmonger, which ultimately leads into this Empire Strikes Back-esque fight where you have T'Challa versus Killmonger. You have Kaluuya and his whole tribe of warriors against uh, Danai Gurira and her tribe of warriors. And then you have Martin Freeman remotely piloting a plane to try to shoot down the other planes that are going to take the terrifying weapons to the rest of the world. So... This fight, this uh, is fantastic because Daniel Kaluuya's tribe have war rhinos that are awesome. And, you know, we watch as uh, T'Challa defeats one at one point. But these things are just wrecking havoc on the fight, uh, on this battle. But then Kaluuya rides one and he's charging towards... uh, I forget who he's attacking, but... Uh, Okoye steps in front of it and the rhino comes to a screeching halt because she must spend plenty of time with the rhinos and so it just stops and it like licks her and she like pets it and Daniel Kaluuya gets steps down and they look at each other and they're both brandishing weapons and uh, she tells him to drop his weapon and he doesn't and he looks at her and he said "You, you would kill me and she just stares him down and she says without question and he drops his weapon and that just oh that's such a fantastic moment my theater erupted in applause when that happened fantastic moment and for jeez i just don't even so guerrero gets a great moments great scenes circus andy circus playing claw he, as I mentioned, is killed about halfway through the movie. But he gets to be just this crazy, maniacal villain throughout the film. Uh, you know, we see him... Uh, let's see, where do we first see him? Well, we see him We see him with Killmonger early in the movie when they're in this museum and they, they fool this... all the museum security, really. And he, so they, they, like... Circus shows up as like a paramedic and or EMT and he they they like they kill all these security guards and then Claw looks at the last one and he's like, Oh don't worry, I'm not gonna shoot you. I want you to go tell everybody what's happened. Go on, go on. And the guy runs and he gets maybe ten steps and then Claw shoots him in the back of the head. And Killmonger's like, why would you do that? And he's like, Well, it's fun. I think he says it's fun, but also he, the other reason he gives is that if you spread the bodies around more, it makes it look like you're not professionals at what you're doing, which is just a great line. And, I mean, Circus delivers it fantastically. Moving forward, you know, we've got Circus, who is trying to sell the vibranium to, uh, as it turns out, Martin Freeman. So he's going to sell it to the United States government, basically. And they're doing it at this casino where T'Challa and Lupita Nyong'o and... Denai Guerrera all show up and obviously a fight breaks out Claw, you know, kills a lot of people and finally T'Challa confronts him and you know, obviously human versus Black Panther, no contest except uh, Claw is not a name he gets for nothing because his I'm trying to think, left arm is fake and morphs into a vibranium weapon and he shoots T'Challa with it, and it sends him flying. Claw escapes, gets in a car, ensuing like an incredible action sequence as Denai Guerrero and Lupita Nyong'o hide, uh, steal a car. Lupita's driving. Denai Guerrero is like such a badass, uh, taking down other cars and like as they're in the chase. Meanwhile, T'Challa grabs control of a different car, but he can't drive it because he has to fight basically. So. What happens is 
he puts a sensor on it that sends the simulator version of this car back to Wakanda, which is insane. And instead, it's Letitia Wright driving the car from Wakanda, which is such a cool scene. Absolutely phenomenal. That whole scene I just love. It's it's absolutely brilliant and breathtaking and exciting. I just think it's so cool. Uh, and then, like, Killmonger ends up killing Claw when they have a dispute about what to do with the money and with where, whether or not to go to Wakanda and all those kinds of things. Cool. And so Killmonger ends up killing Andy Serkis. Angela Bassett doesn't get a ton to do in this movie, but uh, her moments... Uh, later in the film, when after Killmonger takes control, she gets some nice moments as she uh, administers to T'Challa and helps and heals him, and, and uh, is able to help thing help things out that way. I like her in that role, and she just brings off a great presence and and charisma, and and she's just really great. Sterling K. Brown, again, not a ton of of, of scenes for him. But he's there just long enough to give you a good impression that he really probably was a good dad to Killmonger. And his loss was very meaningful. And he shared with Killmonger, you know, his his world and the life of Wakanda and what existed there and, and how it was and all those sorts of things. And, you know, he, he fed Killmonger's need to to save and help himself and others and that really spirals out of control martin freeman reprising his role in this at times feels a little tacked on but you know he saves lupita nyong'o's life at one point he is the merchant that is buying the vibranium off of andy circus he is taken to wakanda he is healed of life-threatening wounds he aids them in the war at the end uh, he's present at the UN when, in the mid-credit scene, uh, you know he he interrogates Claw at one point, which is a great scene. I love that scene between him and Andy Serkis. Such such a good moment, and his sort of like absurdity that that Wakanda could be as rich with vibranium as Cir- as Andy Serkis implies that it is says that it is 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 fun to see. Um, Daniel Kaluuya talked about him already. I definitely he's not as good here, not nearly as good here as he was in Get Out. Uh, I don't know that this was necessarily the best role for him. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I have to see it again, and like I'll pay more attention to what he's doing. But he just kind of seemed bleh throughout most of the movie, in my opinion. I don't know. I have to watch it again. Um, who else we got? Winston Duke as Mbaku. He challenges T'Challa the first time, but then. He shines, oh my goodness, he shines when they enter his tribe's land. <laughs> so it's Lupini Yango, uh, Angela Bassett and Letitia Wright, and Martin Freeman, who make their way up to their camp, and Winston Duke sitting there on his throne, he's got like huge furs on, he's a huge hulking man, and he, they're like trying to talk to him, and they're like, their plan, because they don't know T'Challa is still alive at that point, was to, they had smuggled out some of the flower that gives you Black Panther powers. They want uh, M'Baku to take it and for him to overthrow Killmonger. And they're like talking and like they're having this conversation. And Martin Freeman starts to explain things. And M'Baku just like shuts him down. It's like, you cannot speak here. And he says something to the effect of, you know, if you speak again, I will chop you up and feed you to my children. Which is like, oh shit, like this is terrifying. And then he just just bursts out laughing as he says, but we are vegetarian. And he just laughs at his own joke for like a minute, which is amazing. He He steals that entire segment of the movie. And then even when they're fighting uh, the battle toward the end of the tribes, like right when it seemed like Kaluuya's clansmen were going to take things, uh, M'Baku shows up with all of his guys, and they just break through everything, and it all gets turned on its head. It's so great. He gets such a great moment there. But even within, but then he shows them to T'Challa, and so where we see him in his first scene th- challenge T'Challa for uh, the right to be king, it 
when he is given the opportunity to become as strong as Black Panther and to have a chance to really become king, he doesn't take it because one, he knows T'Challa's alive, but two, like that's not how things are done and he respects T'Challa because he beat him and while he is ultimately not willing to fight with them at first, he does obviously make an appearance, but he, he he's a you know, he's fleshed out so quickly in that brief conversation where he's like, look, he, he could have easily taken the 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 fruit, the flower, and, and still given them to Charlie. You know, he, he could have just had that power for himself, but that's not who he is. He's not power hungry. He just wants what justice and what's right for his people. He wants to protect his people. And we see him at the end of the movie as part of the throne room now. No, his tribe has now been integrated into Wakanda for the first time in in thousands and thousands of years, which is, you know, just a testament to how strong the ties of this this country are to each other. It's it's truly beautiful. And then, of course, certainly not least, but the last person like listed on Letterboxd in order that's relevant is Letitia Wright as Shuri, T'Challa's uh, sister, who, outside of Michael B. Jordan, is, in my opinion, the best performance of the movie. She is hilarious. She is powerful. She is intelligent. She's smart. She's funny. She is kind of like a kid sister. That's how she appears at first. Then she becomes, like, when we're in this James Bond sequence where she's showing T'Challa all these gadgets she's created and all these things she's done because she literally runs the technology science department in this country. That's amazing. She she shows T'Challa that like his suit has now been upgraded and so it absorbs uh, force and can be released back. And so she has him like kick uh, a dummy wearing the suit and then she has him kick it in the same spot again, and this time she opens, she activates it so that it actually sends T'Challa flying, and she videotapes it, and it's, it's really funny. She drives the car, as I mentioned before. She's the one teach, who basically instructs Martin Freeman on what he's seeing and the world around him, which is awesome. She does a great job in that. She even gets a time. She even like takes on Killmonger along with Lupita Nyong'o, the two of them fight him at once, and she's got these great, like, greaves, uh, or not greaves, uh, 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 glaives? Is that the term? Glaives. No, that's not the right term. I, I don't know. Um, they reminded me of something I'd seen before, but I'm not entirely sure. Basically, they're like arm cannons, but they're all, like, holographic almost, and she can, like, shoot vibranium energy which is good against a guy wearing a vibranium suit and she's able to like she uses both of them together to send out this shock wave that almost subdues killmonger completely until he releases the energy in his suit and sends her flying and so forth uh but like she's perfectly capable of like handling herself and like using these technolo technological advances to herself she helps instruct martin freeman on how to fly the plane remotely I don't, she just fantastic, steals the scenes, steals the scenes, um, I, I don't know, all these characters are so great, so, I, I don't know, I, I thought this movie was awesome, I thought it was so awesome, I was totally into it, I got to theater three hours before it started, which, I, it turned out I didn't need to get there so early, but, and even if I'd gotten there, like, on time, we probably would have gotten decent seats just because of how big the theater was. And because, like, nobody was sitting at the top where we sat, ultimately, which was strange. But, ah, man, it was such an, such an experience. And something that, I don't know, can be replicated in the MCU again. But, man, it puts a lot of pressure on Infinity War. You don't expect to have to have to really compare an Avengers movie to like a standalone film that came before it, or like an origin film that came before it, or whatever. But 
man, Black Panther sets the bar really, really high. And Infinity War has got a lot of... Like, Infinity War already has a plenty of plenty of issues it has to confront in and of itself with how many characters they're dealing with and the special effects and introducing the most anticipated villain in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, there's a lot on its plate already. And this just kind of, one, gets you pumped for it because you know Black Panther's going to be in Infinity War, so that's exciting. But it's also like, man, like, his solo movie just crushed it emphatically and that same expectation is now on infinity war and i don't relish the people that made it but i'm excited to see it and it comes out in three months not even like two and a half months we'll be able to watch infinity war that's so insane so i don't know if there's anything else uh the final end credit scene was uh sebastian stan uh, recovering and being alive and talking to Letitia Wright, which was cool. And yeah, that's kind of it. I don't know. There's not much else to get into, really. Um, anything else I'd get into, I can do in the statistics episode, which will come out Wednesday. So that's it for my Black Panther review. Uh, let me know uh, if you want to. I don't know if there's anything I missed, anything you wanted to get my opinion on, anything you think I got wrong. You know, if you didn't like the movie as much, you can totally tell me why. If you think I didn't like the movie enough somehow, uh, also tell me why. Uh, Twitter, at Circle of Film, or email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you want to check out the, uh, the website, circleoffilm.com, you can check out the 2018 Circle of Film Award current nominees, nation, current nominees and see just how often Black Panther shows up on that list. And... If you would like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash circle of film. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fails.